You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. All right. Lots and lots and lots of goody stuff going on here. Taking the afternoon slot today because, you know, it's one of the perks of having a network. A lot of people doing stuff, kind of just figure out what works best and do that. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yes, Ernest, I know what you mean. Um, you know what? I have, granted, that dude's got a, uh, a voice that about eight people on planet Earth can do. I'm shocked there haven't been impressionists doing Ernest P. Whirl. That seems like the lowest of the low-hanging fruit. I mean, I, I get Christopher Walken. I get it. He's got a weird voice. But Ernest is, it's so unique, and it's all over the, all over the place. I physically can't because I can't get my voice deep enough to do it. But there are people I know that can do it. I've never seen someone do it. I don't know. I don't understand. You guys are missing out. Failures. You guys are spending all your time doing Robert De Niro. And you know what the most boring impression in the world is? Robert De Niro. It's not even an impression. His voice is fairly normal. It's just a facial expression. And you guys exaggerate the heck out of his facial expression. There's nothing interesting about Robert De Niro's voice. Go do Ernest, and then we'll talk. All right. Well, I suppose we should start by uh, recapping the old Packer game. Take a quick look at what PFF had to say, see how many people we can make mad, and I know that there's plenty. Um, the only guy with a really bad grade is Josiah DeGuara, 41.6 overall grade on offense, I mean. He was, I think, the highest graded offensive player week one. He's had three really bad weeks in a row, which might sort of possibly explain the lessening or the complete lack of snap counts. Um, and by the way, in three years, he's never really graded out very well. This is technically the highest grade he's had as far as a season grade, but again, that's just because of week one. Last year, he had a 55.6 overall grade. That's pretty much what he's done most of the last three weeks. And for the record, his big deficiency, well, week three, his big deficiency was pass blocking. This week, his pass blocking was decent, but his run blocking was terrible. You say, well, who cares? This is more important. Well, no, not so much for Josiah DeGuara. And on top of that, six times he was run blocking, only twice he was pass blocking. So, you know, there's that whole thing. And I don't know how to... I almost don't even want to do PFF grades because people are just going to hate the grade, like, a lot. <laughs> Pretty much take everybody that you think was to blame for this game, give them a good grade. Everybody that you thought was great, give them a bad grade. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, who has the good grade, who has the bad grade? Watson has a good grade. Dobbs has a bad grade. Now, Dobbs did have a fumble and a drop. Um, how about this? Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari, good grade, bad grade. Let's play this game. Elton Jenkins, third highest player. David Bakhtiari, third lowest graded player. Jones and Dylan. Ah, Jones is higher. I got you on that one. Dylan wasn't a bad grade, but you know. Aaron Rodgers, terrible first half, acknowledged by everybody, including the quarterback. Second highest graded player. Now, to be fair, the highest grade was Lazard at a 75, so it's not like he blew the doors off, and his second half was pretty outstanding. But yeah, no, nobody's going to like this, man. Josh Myers graded out well, which is good. Hopefully we can get on board with that. Royce graded out well, 70. Uh, are we missing anybody? I think that's it. Royce, Josh Myers, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, Elton Jenkins, Aaron Rodgers, and Alan Lazard 
were in the 70s. Nobody was in the 80s. There you go. Also, Randall Cobb, 69-ish, so we can kind of throw him in the group. John Runyon wasn't terrible. Again, 88 pass blocking grade, one of the best pass blocking guys. You'll find uh, 58 run blocking grade. Uh, Dylan and Tunyon kind of in the 60s, pretty good for Tunyon. And then uh, in the 50s, Yash Nyman, Tyler Davis, Mercedes Lewis, David Bakhtiari, and Romeo Dobbs. I, I guess it's not all that terrible. I assume Bakhtiari had a good day because I didn't really notice anything, but I haven't really watched. I don't know. They gave him an average pass blocking grade and a below average or a pretty bad run blocking grade. Mercedes, I think we tend to defend no matter what. Dobbs, again, makes sense because of the fumble and the drop. So Elton, I think, is the one that I've really got circled here because I'm pretty sure I watched that man get dog walked about five times. But 73 snaps, I don't know. I don't know, dude. And, and actually, they gave him a 53 pass blocking grade, so they didn't like his pass blocking. They just said he was a dominant run blocker, which I'll tell you what, man. Here, here's the thing. We're going we're gonna to divert for a second. Apparently, I think it was Ryan Wood that put it on Twitter. I don't remember. Coach Matt LaFleur said that they are considering putting Yash Nyman in at right tackle. That would kick Elton Jenkins into guard. I don't know if people are still very anti that decision, but as I'm looking at this, the guy is really struggling with pass blocking. And I think it has to do with athleticism, not general athleticism, but sort of a, he's coming off a knee injury and either doesn't trust it or has some kind of lingering effects from it. And I know Yash is not the most elite football player in the world, but Elton Jenkins has been kind of a liability. And I don't know Elton Jenkins does a better job in this game. Again, these are very good pass rushers for the Patriots, very underrated. If you look at their statistics, they're probably better than Rashawn and Preston. They just always fly under the radar. Not Preston by himself, but you know, if you combine them as a pair, I think they're better than our guys. And maybe in some of the stats, it was Rashawn too. I don't know. Maybe not after this week though. Although maybe, because again, they pushed Elton Jenkins around a ton. So I think if you add that caveat, they said he was a great run blocker and a not so good pass blocker. I think we can kind of get behind that. The only real question now is how does Aaron Rodgers get here? What did Christian Watson do to get such a good grade? And it must've been something because He's played this role a million times. They always give him a bad grade. In fact, he was one of the lowest graded rookie wide receivers uh, as far as the entirety of PFF. He might have been the lowest graded. So what the heck did he do in this game to get such good grades? I don't know. But there you go. Let's, uh, let's go a little bit more in depth with that. Aaron Rodgers, what in the world did he do? Well, 60% completion rate. That goes up to 67.7 adjusted completion percentage, 251 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. One of the big factors in this that I've noticed is big-time throws compared to turnover-worthy plays. Whether or not they end up getting completed is, is beyond the point. The fact that you made a throw that was accurate and would have been a big play. For example, the, he gets full credit for that Romeo Dobbs touchdown, as he should. Whether or not the guy catches it is irrelevant. You get full credit for that. It has nothing to do with your skill level if Romeo Dobbs catches it or not. That's why the box score and everything is stupid. He only threw for 251 yards and two touchdowns. Okay, well, it should have been over 300 yards and three touchdowns, but yeah, okay. But four big-time throws accounting for 11.1% of his passes and only one turnover-worthy play. Yes, it was a pick six, but it was one turnover-worthy play. That was his only one of the entire game. Just for reference, in week four, nobody had more big-time throws than Aaron Rodgers. Not only in terms of total with four, but also in terms of percentage of throws at 11.1%. Russell Wilson was at 10. Patrick Mahomes was third at 7.9%, just to give you an idea of how big of a gap that there is for Aaron Rodgers. And the grades for the next three guys, Russell Wilson, Pat Mahomes, and Andy Dalton, 80, 86, and 80. So Rodgers has a much lower grade than those guys. Time to throw 2.26 seconds. My goodness. Uh, Rodgers is only... Only under pressure 21.6% of the time. That was eight of his dropbacks. He was one for six for 24 yards. They gave him a 67 overall grade. Four of those were thrown away, so I'm guessing they just didn't count those. That would make him one for two. He also got sacked once, so I guess technically that would make him one for one for 24 yards. <laughs> uh, receiving and receiving grades, looking specifically just at the receiving grade, not the overall grade. Alan Lazard with an 80.3 overall grade. Randall Cobb, 72.3. Christian Watson with a 70, a 69.2, I guess. Tunyon 62.9, A.J. Dillon 59.2, Aaron Jones 58.4, Josiah DeGuara 56.3, and Romeo Dobbs 54.5. The really, really weird thing about this game, 
One of the things that kind of went unnoticed by me, and this actually happened a couple weeks ago, but uh, Christian Watson was primarily a boundary receiver. This week, I'm noticing he's at 71.4% in the slot. I went back and looked at week two, the last time he played, same thing. They actually designated him the last two weeks as a slot receiver because he was in the slot 62.5%. Right now, Christian Watson is a slot receiver for us. Just for reference, in um, just looking at week four, in terms of slot percentage, Christian Watson ranks 13th, and Randall Cobb is in the mix. He's second most. So he's legitimately right now a slot receiver based on usage. Nobody is in the slot 100% of the time, including Randall Cobb. Isaiah McKenzie's the only one ahead of Randall Cobb. He's at 90.9% in the slot. So I don't really know what that means going forward. I don't know if that just has to do with the fact that they're not even going to try to utilize him on the boundary, stressing defenses down the field. I mean, I know you can stress the defense down the field from the slot, but um, I mean, is, is he just officially designated as the jet sweep guy? Is that just his entire role right now? Because that kind of sucks. Because again, after week two, that was his job. Week, week one, he was 24% in the slot. He was 75.9% out wide. Right now he is 71.4% in the slot. And that's up from week two. Just reporting the news, man. I don't know. Rushing grades, Aaron Jones, 75 overall. A.J. Dillon, 65.6. Christian Watson, 63. Rodgers, 58. Yards after contact per attempt. A.J. Dillon with 2.94 is impressive. I mean, he has almost three yards per carry after contact, especially when you factor in he's only got 4.3. So the majority of the yards he's getting are after contact. But Aaron Jones, 6.9 yards per attempt, 4.7 yards after contact per attempt. That's crazy. He had uh, two missed tackles forced. A.J. Dillon, one missed tackle forced. Longest 20 yards. A.J. Dillon, 13 yards. Watson, 15 yards on his one carry was his, was longer than... <laughs> I, I mean, it works, man. You know, as much as it's kind of like, okay, this is the one thing you can do, it's a successful thing that he does. One carry, and it was 15 yards. Not opposed to a 15-yard average. It kind of reminds me of when we use Randall Cobb in the backfield. It was really a weird gadgety thing that felt like, okay, eventually this isn't going to work, but every time he touched it, he went for like 10 yards. So... We just kept doing it. And then finally, looking at the blocking, we'll go position by position. Left tackle, Yash Nyman played three snaps, and he gave up a hurry. Again, just for those that are like, we should just put him at tackle. It'll be great. We'll have a perfect offensive line. One hurry on three snaps, which really sucks. In fact, the last two weeks, his pass blocking grade has been 45.6 and 48.0. Maybe it's because he's not like in the full swing of things, and he wasn't like, I don't know. I don't know. But it's been a pretty rough couple of... uh, couple of weeks. David Bakhtiari in 70 attempts gave up one hurry. Left guard John Runyon obviously didn't give up any pressures. 88.3 overall grade would kind of indicate that. He had one bad day against Tampa and he didn't give up any pressures in that game. So I don't know what he did that was just kind of, I'm guessing it was just him kind of getting blown back off the ball, which I saw a ton of that, but he kind of re-anchors and you know, there's no actual pressure there. But he had a 53 pass blocking grade. You know what his other three weeks have been? His pass blocking grades, 84.6, 86.0, 88.3. He has an 81.2 overall grade with a 53 mixed in. He has the sixth highest pass blocking grade among guards in the NFL right now. You know who's number one, hilariously? James Daniels, <laughs> former Bear that the Bears got rid of. Oh, and they're struggling. And in fact, I was just watching a video the other day and they were talking about, you need, you know, Poles needs to man up and go find a guard. You know, there, there are no really good tackles floating around out there, but you need to find a guard. It's, it's getting to be serious with Cody Whitehair out. Well, you had a guy by the name of James Daniels and he's actually tearing it up right now. But anyways, good old Poles, man. Good old Poles. Love that guy. At center, Josh Myers gave up one hurry on his 73 attempts, uh, 70 run blocking grade, 66 pass blocking grade. At right guard, Royce Newman gave up one hurry, 68 and 70, uh, no, 68 and 68 for run blocking and pass blocking. And then at right tackle, Elton Jenkins gave up one sack, two hurries, three total pressures. So what we saw was real. PFF acknowledged it. They were just like, yeah, but he was really good as a run blocker, which I guess is, I guess is cool. I mean, we saw how good the running was. And so you got to give credit where it's due. Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, and a little bit of Royce Newman. Um, so the entire right side of the line seemed to be doing a good job run blocking. Left side, not as much. Uh, you'd have to go down to two, 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 John Runyon, 58, and then uh, David Bakhtiari, 49.6. It kind of sucks because Bakhtiari is usually pretty good at that stuff. But hey, I'll take three out of five. Just run to the right and we'll be, we'll be all right. 
looking at true pass sets because it matters. One of the things I noticed when I went back and when I go back and watch our offensive line on uh, the All-22 and whatnot is a lot of times guys are asked to do more difficult thing than, things than others. For example, John Runyon, the, the game that I watched, he does a great job. But also most of the time he's working double teams. So he's getting help. So, you know, and at the same time you got Elton Jenkins trying to get up to the next level. I mean, obviously I don't know, this would be a run play, but he's trying to get up to the next level and reach a linebacker. You know, it's not all things are equal. Same is true for pass blocking. So if you look at true pass sets, so we're talking about just, you know, mano e mano. John Runyon still holds up. It goes down a little bit, 88.3 overall grade, goes down to an 86.2. Royce Newman's 67.8 actually goes up to a 69.4. Josh Myers goes down from a 66.2 pass blocking grade down to 57.9. Uh, Josh Nyman stays at a 48 because his two attempts were mano e mano. But then it gets really ugly. The two tackles... Um, when you're talking true pass sets, it's a disaster, which is maybe what we're seeing from Elton and just completely missed with David Bakhtiari. David Bakhtiari, it's about half his attempts, 30 out of 38, we're talking 16. For David Bakhtiari out of 36, we're talking 14. David Bakhtiari's 61.6 pass blocking grade drops to a 33.7. Elton Jenkins' 53.2 drops to a 28.4. These two guys got whooped, absolutely whooped. When you look at true pass sets, in other words, remove the part where Matt LaFleur tries to scheme help to our offensive linemen, and it gets bad. I mean, you've got Runyon did great. Royce actually did fine, 70 overall grade. Josh Myers was a little sub 60. Yash was a 48. And then again, the tackles, 33.7 for Bakhtiari, 28.4 for Yash and I, uh, for uh, Elton Jenkins. That sucks like a lot. Anyways, let's flip over to the defensive side. Lots and lots of bad. Um, it just is what it is. So we'll we'll actually start with that because we'll get try to get that out of the way quickly. Um, below a 60, you got Preston Smith. He's kind of alone in this category with a 58.2. Then you got all sub-50s. Only one guy <laughs> was in the 50. Then we're down into the 40s, 30s, and yes, 20s. People with 40s in the grade. Devontae Wyatt again back in the 40s. Again, no opportunities, only five. Only one pass rush attempt. Kenny Clark, they gave, people are going to hate this. Just got to go back and watch it. He did have one pressure on 24 attempts, which is, you know, bad. Tackling, they said, was fine. They gave him an average run defense grade, um, but, you know, pretty bad pass rush grade. Eric Stokes with a 48.7 overall grade. TJ Slayton, 47.9. And by the way, this shouldn't actually be that surprising that our defensive line is living down here, considering it was our defensive line that couldn't stop the run to save their lives. Dean Lowry, 46.8. Jonathan Garvin, 43.2. Devondre Campbell, 41.9. Quay Walker, 38.5. Kingsley and Egbare, 28.8. The good news about this is that this is un- uncommon. So to look at that game and say, this is what our run defense is. This is what our defense is. And we should be worried. No, it's not. I don't know why they sucked, but they did. This was by far Kenny Clark's worst game of the year. This was TJ Slayton. I wish I could say it was his worst game of the year. It was his second worst game of the year. Chicago was worse. We also struggled in that game, stopping the run. Again, I'm annoyed with TJ Slayton because that's the only thing he was brought in to do is be a good run defender. By the way, the whole TJ Slayton's going to be a good pass rusher thing, zero pressure so far this year. Same with Dean. I wish I could say it was his worst. The last two weeks, 73 overall grade, 71 this week, 46, but he had a 45 week one. So, And, and this is the problem. Like there, There's just these collapses. Kenny's a great player, but he has really just random bad day. Dean, great player, except when he sucks, you know? And then when they all kind of combine and decide to have a bad day at the same time, you got a problem. Same with Garvin. I wish I could say it was his worst day at a 43.2, but it was um, it was one of his better days. <laughs> it was actually his third worst te- technically, but his best ever was a 45.9. Jonathan Garvin has been just the worst. I mean, I don't, I don't know what our guy, our other guys are doing. I know we had a pile of guys that seemed to be pretty impressive, but I guess if, if Garvin and, and uh, Kingsley are both looking terrible, why should I assume anybody else would be any good? But this is about as bad as it gets for, for Garvin. 28 run defense grade, 53 pass rush grade. He has one pressure so far this year. Brutal. Uh, worst game of the year by Devondre Campbell, who, to be honest, has not actually had that great of a year. 71.2 overall grade is his best so far, and as far as my concerns about regression, 
His grades over his career, 55, 69, 56, 50, 49, 85, 62. I mean, I'm not declaring anything dead, but he has a 49.6 run defense grade, which is his second lowest of his career. He has a 47.8 tackling grade, which is the lowest of his career. Um, And his coverage grade is a 71.8, which is fine. It's not as good as last year. But it's uh, so far, this is a massive drop-off from last year. I mean, the, the big benefit is we got Devondre Campbell, we got Quay, we got these elite linebackers. I don't know, dude. Quay Walker, two weeks in a row. Last week, 36.3 overall grade against Tampa. This week, 38.5. Now, listen, you say whatever you want, but how do you justify the, the, the run defense being what it is? We can't sit here and brag about Quay's so good and, and Devondre's so good and all these guys are so good. They're not so good when a team can just run all over you at will like that. And you can't tell me the tackling has been good, because it is not. I, I have yelled at Quay Walker so many times, and I very rarely see him. Every time he flashes on my screen, I'm angry at him. You know what drives me the, the crazy the most? Aside from the part where nobody squares up and runs through a guy, they're always wrapping up from the side and falling backwards and giving him an extra three or four yards. You know what makes me absolutely insane? When Quay Walker is, it meets a guy at the hole, and rather than running at him and tackling him for a loss, he stands there and, and plays like goalie. What are you doing? Go get him. Don't stand there. Makes me insane. But at a 49.1 overall grade, he's on track to be one of the worst linebackers, as is his running mate next to him. This, we, we are on track to have one of the worst linebacking groups in football if they don't turn this around, because this is really bad. 19 pass rush attempts. He's only got one pressure. That's really bad for a linebacker. Usually linebacker pressure rates are through the roof. He's significantly worse than like a nose tackle right now. They need to just stop bringing him on blitzes because it's useless. It's getting nothing done. Kingsley, this was by far his worst game. Uh, He doesn't play very much anyways, but 71, 69, 65, and 28. Kind of disheartening that it's gotten worse every week, but you know, still. Anyways, again, the point is, this is... This is rock bottom for everybody, whether it's they're used to this and they kind of have been down here for a while, or this is just completely out of character like Kenny Clark. But everybody is down here. The only guy that showed up is Jaron Reed along the defensive line that I can see. Jaron Reed had a 69.5 overall grade. Congratulations. His best game of the entire year. The run defense for him has actually been decent. The pass rush is pathetic, but, you know, aside from week two against Chicago, uh, tackling 71, 67, 72, run defense 68, 64, 74. I guess I'll take that. That's kind of, kind of mediocre down the line, but you know, I'll take it. Four pressures on 95 attempts is, uh, you know, useless, but it's, it's what he's done his entire career, which is why I said, don't expect much from him when he comes here, because he's never, ever been good at that. I think he's been, let's see, barely above 10% twice, 2018, 2019, something like that. So again, if there's a silver lining, it's that. If you just take each one of these guys and, and put in what they usually are, we shouldn't have this happen ever again. But that was, that was rough. On the positives, well, we'll go average. There were three average guys. Shamar Jean Charles, who played one snap, randomly. Razul Douglas, 61-2. Keyshawn Nixon, 61-5. High averages, borderline good. Darnell Savage, 67.5. Love to see it. It's weird that the guys that I've been harping on this entire time, like, what the heck is wrong with you, are the guys that are actually showing up for once. <laughs> Jaron Reed and Darnell Savage. Uh, they're right next to each other, fourth and fifth highest grades. They're the two kind of mediocre high, whatever. Jaron Reed, 69.5. Um, and then Adrian Amos, who unfortunately went out, was on, on track to finally having a really good game. You know what's exciting, though? The guy that filled in for him, second highest grade, 78.9 overall. You know, it's hard to tell exactly what he's doing behind everybody, but um, he looked good. He was flying around like it was nothing. He made six tackles, one assist, no missed tackles. He had the highest tackling grade on the entire team. 68.7 run defense grade is the third highest on the entire team. 74.7 coverage grade is the highest on the entire team. I mean, it's one game, but I don't know. Weirder stuff has happened. see how it goes, I guess. And then number one was Rashawn Gary, who's finally getting his due. 93.4 overall grade, 81.7 run defense, 76.2 tackling, 92 pass rush grade. He even got nearly a 70 coverage grade. I don't know how. He just ended up, because he didn't start in coverage, but he must have ended up in coverage at one point and did a decent job. 
Five pressures. We'll get into the stats here. Five pressures on 21 attempts is stupidity. Basically 24% pressure rate, including two sacks. So, I mean, he's, I think he's tied for number one in sacks in the NFL right now, as far as PFF sacks go. Uh, Dean Lowry had two pressures on 13 attempts, including a sack. That's a perfect day at the uh, office. Quay Walker's one pressure on eight attempts. Jonathan Garvin's one pressure on six attempts, which is solid. Jaron Reed, one on 19, is not what you're looking for. Kenny Clark, one on 24, is terrible. Preston Smith's one pressure on 16 attempts, also quite terrible. Uh, Preston is another one that, you know, I was worried about regression, and then it's like he comes out and he has five pressures, and then he has six pressures and two sacks, and it's like, dang, man, he's still killing it. Well, the last two weeks... He's had 38 plus 16, 48, 54, 54 attempts, one pressure. That's as, as, as terrible as you could probably be. 54 attempts, one pressure. It was a sack, but that was it. That's all he's done in two games and 54 pass rush attempts. He currently has a 60.8 overall grade, which means he's, you know, again, it's that regression thing. Is he going to be what he was last year, 81.5 overall grade, or is he going to be what he's been the rest of his career? He had another kind of high game in 2018, his last year with Washington. He had a low year in 2020 at 55 overall, but 64, 63, 63, 66, that's what he was pretty much throughout his career. He's right now at 60, basically at 61. Is he regressing back to his normal self? I think so. Is Devondre regressing back to his normal self? It kind of seems like it. We got to check in on Razul, see what he's doing. So far, he's hanging in there. 72.5 overall grade. Last year, he was a 74.5, but in four games, 69, 60, 75, 61. So hang in there, Razul. <laughs> we need somebody to, <laughs> to maintain here. Coverage has been phenomenal. 75, 82, 79, and then 57.8 this week, but still, I'll take that. So yeah, I mean, there's, there are a lot of guys that really, really, really need to step it up because we are never going to be this elite defense if these guys can't be better. Um, I don't know when Amos is coming back. Jaron Reed has given very little to this team. Darnell Savage had his first good game of the season, and it was marginally good. He needs to be better. Preston is falling into the abyss of of just being borderline terrible. He really, really needs to step it up. Devontae Wyatt, the rookie, is offering us nothing. I know maybe it's wrong to expect too much from a rookie, but you are a first-round rookie taken from a big program and are much older, so the expectation should be that you're ready to go. You are so far from ready. They don't want to put you out there for more than five snaps at the end of the game just to kind of see, just to get you a couple opportunities. Kenny, I mean, uh, uh, he's doing great, but you can't have these just complete collapse games. TJ Slayton has really never lived up to the hype. He's, he's one of those guys that all fans think is just the greatest thing ever. He's never been good at anything. He had a 52 overall grade last year. He has a 44 overall grade this year. Doesn't have a single pressure. Dean, 50% of his games have been great. 50% have been absolute garbage. Garvin is useless. Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker have been terrible. Terrible the last two weeks. And Kingsley and Igbare, I don't know, man. He's a rookie, kind of a late-ish round rookie. Can't be too mad at him. But, I mean, this is, again, we're, we're talking about on paper. But we're changing what the paper says, right? We got these great safeties in Savage and Amos, do we? Amos is hurt. Savage has been bad. Well, we got these, these, uh, these great, co- these great corners. Now Stokes had a bad day. Jair didn't play because he's hurt. But we got these this great linebacking duo, do we? Or is it one of the worst linebacking duos? Well, we got this great defensive line. You mean Kenny by himself? We got these great pass rushers, Rashawn and nobody. I'm happy the score was the score. That might have had something to do with the fact that their third-string quarterback was in and they couldn't pass and they just had to run the ball. And even though they were successful, going five yards a clip down the field is going to make it really hard for you to rack up 30 points because you're going too slow to score at that high of a pace. The point is, these guys have to be better. You can run your mouth all you want. You got to put it on the field. The last two weeks um, in the NFL, Quay Walker ranks 80th out of 83 linebackers. Devondre Campbell ranks 56th. I didn't say 4th and 13th. I said 56th and 80th out of 83. Our defensive tackles um, rank 37th, 45th, 71st, and 85th out of, uh, out of 100. Well, out of 128. That's it. We don't have one in the top 32 the last two weeks. 
Granted, that's because of, you know, Kenny's this past week, but it is what it is. Pass rushers, Rashawn ranks fourth. Preston Smith ranks 93rd. Kingsley Anigbare ranks 111th out of 118. Garvin doesn't have enough snaps to be on here, but he would be below Kingsley, I'm quite positive. Corners the last two weeks. Um, Stokes is 21st, or no, excuse me. Razul is 21st, Stokes is 66th. No, he's 43rd. <laughs> Keyshawn Nixon is 66th. Not terrible, but it's not elite corner play. Well, that's because Jair, well, okay, whatever. But we can't come strutting in here saying we got, you know, three top 20 corners, and it turns out we have one and he's hurt. Safeties are the only impressive thing on here, but that's mostly because of Rudy Ford. Adrian Amos is 21st, which is, which is fine. I'm fine with that. Savage, 52nd, which is actually quite an improvement. But do we have one of the best safety duos? Not even close. Not even close. Washington has two in the top 20. Baltimore, second and uh, 34th. Tampa Bay, uh, second, tied for second, and 32nd. Even the Bears, Eddie Jackson is fifth. Jaquan Brisker's 29th. Bears have a better safety duo. How about the Jets? Jordan Whitehead is eighth. Lamarcus Joyner is 19th. Jets have a better duo. I mean, it's, it's not hard to find these guys. The Saints, P.J. Williams and Justin Evans are next to each other, 14th and 15th. Again, our, our number one is 21st. Other guy's down in the 50s somewhere. In the last two weeks, I don't know that safety isn't our best group, which is scary. It's week four, man. That's all I'm saying, week four. We, we, we can't be having implosion games. We can't be having let's fall apart games. And, and again, I know a lot of people can say you're overreacting, they did a good job, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm at this point more concerned about that than I am the offense. Because whether or not this defense ends up being a top five defense is probably going to make the difference in whether or not we end up being a serious Super Bowl contender. And what we've seen recently is not that. In fact, I don't know if we've really seen it. Yeah, I know. The, the points have been relatively low. I get it. I'm not talking about what we've done in the past. I'm talking about what's sustainable. If this is the level of play, the points will follow. That's not a question. And, he, and here's the bigger point, because I don't want to sit here and dump on Kenny. It can't just be Kenny and Rashawn and Jair and, you know, Razul and a little bit of Stokes. But nobody else contributes. We can't have no contrib- contribution from anybody along the defensive line except Rashawn. That's never going to work. Preston needs to step up. Jerron Reed needs to step up. Dean Lowry needs to step up. Devontae Wyatt needs to figure something out. One of our backup edge rushers needs to learn how to play football. Our linebackers have to be good. They have to be good. That's what this whole thing is predicated on. You have to be good at stuff. I know, Campbell had the pass breakup that won us the game. I, I remember, I saw it, and Savage would have been there too. Savage would have broken up that play if Campbell didn't, but that doesn't mean we can't sit here and say Savage is struggling. We've all been hoping for a top five defense, and that doesn't happen with mediocre play. That happens with everybody being really, really, really good. That's not just a couple really good guys. That's a couple really good guys and some other pretty good guys. You know, you got elite Jair, elite Rashawn, elite Kenny. And then you got real good Amos, you got real good Razul, you got, you got good Stokes, you got hopefully mediocre Savage, you got real good linebackers, two, and then you got at least pretty good defensive tag. We're not getting any of that right now. As far as I can tell, and I know Kenny had a bad week, it's, it's a Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary show with, you know, pretty good cornerback play on the back end. I'm assuming, I don't know, they didn't throw the ball. It's hard to tell. According to PFF, Stokes did not do that good of a job, but how would you know? It's, so it's, it's, it's a positive and a negative at the same time. It's a positive because obviously this was an, an, a, a rare thing that, that there's no reason to expect that this will happen throughout the year. But it's a negative because you guys need to freaking knock it off. This is not what elite defenses do. They don't have bad days where you're so bad you're the worst defense in football. That's not what great defenses do ever. But it's what it, for whatever reason, it's what the Packers do. The Packers do this. You could be the number one offense in football and you'll have a day that's just, you are the worst offense in football. Why do you do that? I don't get it. Overall defensive grades via PFF through four weeks, 52, 68, 68, and 59. The Rams had the number one defense in football last year. They had three games in the 50s all year as far as overall defensive grades. We've had two in four weeks. According to PFF, we have the 22nd, we're tied for 22nd as far as our, our defense. And again, people, well, look at the points. Look at where we are. In po- what I'm telling you is the points will follow. You, you, you're looking at it backwards. You're saying, look at the product that's been on the field. 
That's what's real. You're looking at these fake grades and PFF is stupid and all that. What I'm telling you is that it's not the grades that are fake. It's the points that are fake. The points tell you what. They don't tell you why. There's no context. The grades are context. I'm not saying the grades are perfect, but it is context. The, the, the points don't mean anything. Why did it happen? How did it happen? Who did you play? What's the quality of the opponent? What, what are the circumstances? What happened? What are the circumstances? By the way, DVOA doesn't necessarily disagree either. Football outsiders. They've got our defense ranked 17th. We're not even top half in the NFL, according to them. It's not that different than 22nd. Our defense is one spot above Chicago. Our run defense, they have us ranked 28th. There's only one category we're top 10, and that's pass DVOA. And we're 9th. So again, you know, as much as we're worried about the offense, and everybody's talking about the offense, and still saying this is one of the best defenses in football, but what I'm telling you is, at the same time, we're struggling to figure out an offense. If this defense doesn't improve, they're also about to get exposed. If, if they haven't already. People just aren't noticing it because the points are low. The issues have been there. And again, a lot of this has been mitigated by the fact that Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary and Jair and some of the corners have, have done such a good job. But Jair's already hurt. And now Amos is out. And Kenny had his first bad day. How much weight can you put on Rashawn Gary's shoulders? How many times does he have to sack a guy to save us from ourselves? I'm telling you it's not sustainable. Other people have to step up. The linebackers have to man up. Preston has got to play better. Any defensive lineman not named Kenny Clark has to be able to do anything. And now, we're, now we need Savage more than ever with Amos being out. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he'll go to London. I, I just, my thought is with the whole Tua thing, if you have a concussion, you're going to be out a while. I mean, you know, maybe not. Maybe the Packers are like, hey, we, you know, we've always done things the right way. We're going to keep doing things the way we have. But I just think there's going to be so much pressure from the NFL to say, if you got a guy that had a concussion and you think you're playing him next week, you're out of your mind. We have the players. We know we do. But it does, again, this is, this is where the problem we always run into. It's always on paper, on paper, on paper. Well, when, when what's on the paper doesn't translate to what goes on the field, it doesn't really mean a whole lot, does it? Keep hearing the players talk about, we know what we have in this team. We just got to go back. And yeah, you do. So go back and do it. Kenny said in the locker room, we're, we're going to clean this up. We'll have it fixed by next week. All right, well, good. I'm sure you will because I'm, I'm you know, this is one of the worst performances, especially in terms of run defense that this team has had probably in a few years in terms of just everybody doing poorly. But, you know, then what? You know, how many weeks until it happens again? And when, when, bef- when before we have another collapse in coverage like we did week one where guys are just missing their assignments? And I mean, look, I, I'm sorry, but this is all, I, I, I'm turning into a broken record, but the NFL is entirely about consistency. That's all that matters. I love that, that Rashawn has, you know, like the, the two sacks in a game and a bunch of pressures. And I'm not picking on Rashawn, but it's just an example. If you play 50 snaps and five of them are that, we can't just say, I don't care what happened to the rest. It matters. You know, Jaron Reed had a sack. Oh, he had a great day. Did he? That's one play. Again, he graded out fine, but that's, that's, that's the point. It's not about the one big play. It's about showing up play after play after play. It's about being better than the guy across from you on a play-to-play basis. The norm is our guys are better than their guys, and that wasn't the case against New England. We got whooped all up and down the field. Our tackles got embarrassed, you know, and that's the other thing. We're supposed to have these great tackles. Bakhtiari and Jenkins, we've been begging for to have them back. We've never had worse tackles. What the heck was that? True pass sets, one-on-one opportunities, two decent pass rushers, good pass rushers up against premier tackles, and our guys got embarrassed? I know about the injuries, but I mean, what, what do we have to hang our hat on anymore? MVP quarterback who played like garbage for a half. Elite tackles that got just embarrassed. Kenny Clark who got thrown all over the field. Elite linebacker duo that just can't do anything. One thing they're supposed to be really good at is tackling, and they couldn't tackle. They can't tackle. Everything we've been bragging about, they're making us look stupid. At some point, they got to put it on the field, man. And I, again, I know it's there. We've seen Rodgers play well. We saw Bakhtiari come back week one and play well. I know somewhere deep down in Jenkins' soul is still a good football player. We know Kenny's got it. We know Rashawn's got it. I know Devondre has it. I, I know Quay's got it. I know Savage has got it. We've seen it. But they just, they, they say they believe it. But when they get on the field, it sure looks like they don't believe it. And, and, and you know, again, people are going to say I'm overreacting. I'm not overreacting because I'm not reacting. 
I'm not worried about what we saw in the past. What we saw in the past was production. They did what they were supposed to do. I'm not worried about last week. Last week, the defense saved us. Same with the week before and the week before and the week before. If we don't have defense, we're not three and one. I'm not reacting to anything that happened. I'm worried about what's going to happen in the future. What happens to our defense when we're not playing one of the worst offenses in football with their third string quarterback? What happens when we're not playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who doesn't have his top three or four weapons on offense? What happens when we're not playing the Chicago Bears with a historically bad offense that just can't do anything? I mean, these are the three, some of the three worst offenses in football. Tampa got their weapons back, so they might not be, but when we played them, you can't hardly find offenses worse than Chicago, Tampa with no weapons, and the Patriots down to their third-string quarterback. So, yeah, you can rest in seventh-best overall defense in terms of points if you want. But if, if they do that again, we're about to get embarrassed by Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. That's really going to suck. I don't know if Daniel Jones is playing. I don't care. It's not really the point. They don't need him. It's going to be real embarrassing if we get beat by the Jets, who has a actually pretty decent offensive line and some fairly decent wide receiver weapons and drafted a top-tier running back. Then we got Washington, we got Buffalo, Detroit's hanging 40 on people just for fun. Dallas, Tennessee, Philadelphia, it's not going to get easier. Figure it out. Anyways, we should probably take a break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. FertileGroundRanch.org. It's my, uh, my dad's ministry. Finally got it up and running after 15, 20-ish years. It's got some property down in southern Indiana. It's going to be building some, uh, like a bunkhouse. So uh, people that are coming out of prison or uh, just, you know, need some help, have a place to go. And, uh, you know, they're getting some animals so you can work the farm, work with your hands, get out in nature. It's really, it's really nice down there in southern Indiana, man. A lot of nature. But sometimes that's what people just need, you know, just to get away, disconnect. By the way, if financial support isn't exactly on the table, there, there are a lot of other things. First of all, you may know somebody that <laughs> might need help. I don't know if they're in the position to be bringing on a ton of people right now because they're just getting it off the ground. But it wouldn't be the worst idea to reach out and just find out the steps, maybe moving in that direction. Also, obviously, they're looking to partner with a bunch of churches, hoping to find some support that way. If you are currently attending a church that is supporting um, missions and ministries, obviously, that would be a way to help. If you could maybe talk to the church and see if they'd be interested in working together, partnering, because it is somewhat of a pipeline situation. It's not just, hey, we need your money. It's, you know, a lot of people go to church with problems and and need help that, that can't always be provided, and this would be a b- pretty good resource. Just a thought. Anyways, FertileGroundRanch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you by Tic Tac. Minty, refreshing, classic. And it's not just the Tic Tac mints. It's the new track by Kanis with beats that'll leave you feeling as refreshed as a Tic Tac and a vibe that'll take you on a ride through 100 layers of flavor. Does it get any fresher than this? Tic Tac, enjoy the bright side. That hundred layer joy ride. Pop one, let's paint the town. Freshman flavors all around. Take a ride on a Tic Tac. Pick up a pack of Tic Tac mints today. Night racing is back at Richmond Raceway. This spring, top NASCAR drivers like Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain, and Virginia's own Denny Hamlin will battle under the bright lights. And this historic track also offers a rocking infield experience with unparalleled access to your favorite drivers and one of the best tailgate scenes around. For a weekend of friends, family, and amazing short track action, head to Richmond Raceway, March 29th through 31st. Get tickets now at richmondraceway.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 
21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable. Bonus vested expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to lighten things up a little bit by pointing out a couple other statistics. We're going to get away from the Packers for a minute. This isn't full-on laughing at the enemy, although I have started compiling some clips for that. Did you know... The Detroit Lions have given up the 18th most points through four games in NFL history, 14th most in the Super Bowl era. It is the eighth most since 2000, since the turn of the century. 2019 was actually the most in recent history with 163 points given up through four games. However, when you look at points combined, which is, uh, I've said there's, there's like four quadrants of things. Points for is looking at how good your offense is. Points against is how, um, you know, if, if you're talking about the highest number, how bad your defense is. Point differential is good offense and good defense. Points combined would be really good offense, really bad defense. In NFL history, there has never been a team with more points combined. We're talking best offense and worst defense. The, let, let's call it the biggest gap between offensive production and defensive suckage in NFL history is the Detroit Lions. Right now, 281 points scored through four games. But how about this one? Detroit Lions right now, 2022 Detroit Lions, 27th best start in NFL history. I want to do something here real quick. These are the, the best offenses in NFL history. I just want to read how many wins through four weeks these teams have. 4-4-4-4-4-4-4-3-4-3-4-4-4-3-4-3-4-4-4-3-2-4-4-4-3-1. The next time you find a team... That was Detroit, by the way, with one win, if you couldn't tell. The next time you find a team with one win is Cincinnati Bengals in 1985, ranking 70th on this list. They were averaging 32 points per game and were 1-3. The closest recent uh, history thing would be the 2020 Dallas Cowboys, who scored 126 points in four games and were 1-3. Detroit Lions right now have 140 points per game. 35-point average. You know what? <laughs> You know what's really shocking? They have scored 35 points per game, 27th best offense in NFL history through four weeks. They have a point differential of negative one. Negative one. All right, that's not interesting. I got another one for you. The Chicago Bears this past week scored 12 points. You know how you get to 12 points? Four field goals. Couple points on that. Number one, um... Who scores the points for field goals? The kickers, right? They had a new kicker come in. He just scored 100% of the Bears' points. He just got cut. (laughs) I wonder if that's ever happened in NFL history. A guy scores all your team's points and then gets cut. Hilarious. Here's another one for you. Obviously, if you kick four field goals, you didn't get any touchdowns, right? Which means you didn't get any passing touchdowns. Okay? Last week, here's their, their scores. Cairo Santo kicked a field goal. Khalil Herbert ran for a touchdown. Cairo Santo, 50-yard field goal. Khalil Herbert ran for a touchdown. Cairo Santo, field goal. How about the game against the Green Bay Packers? They scored 10 points, one touchdown, one field goal. You know what the touchdown was? It was a three-yard run from Justin Fields. The Chicago Bears this year have two passing touchdowns. The last time they had a passing touchdown was week one. Three weeks without a single passing touchdown. And by the way, one of those touchdowns was a broken play. That 51-yard pass to Dante Pettis on a broken play. There has been like one legitimate touchdown pass the entire year. And that was an 18-yard pass from Justin Fields to Equinemius St. Brown. But I'll give him two. You can take two. It happens. You know, broken plays happen. Vikings probably had a couple in week one. They have not had a passing touchdown in three weeks. They haven't even had a touchdown in over a week. In the last three weeks, 
Do you know how many teams don't have a passing touchdown? The answer is one. The Chicago Bears. There are two teams with one passing touchdown. One is the New York Giants and one is the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers and the Giants have more passing touchdowns. The Packers, for the record, have six in that period. Detroit is number one with nine. (laughs) Good lord. Oh boy. Chicago does have, however, three interceptions. So, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Eh, Probably not the worst ratio in the world, I guess. Granted, it is the lowest touchdown percentage and the second highest interception percentage in the NFL, but I'm sure it could be worse. I'm just mad at the Falcons for having a worse interception percentage than because then it would be Chicago's, you know, number one in both categories, and that would be hilarious, or dead last in both categories, I guess. Number one in awesomely garbage statistics. But Fields is in pretty good shape. In, in recent history, the record is five which was done twice, both by the Carolina Panthers, which is hilarious. Cam Newton went five games without a touchdown. um, And Sam Darnold also went five games without a touchdown. I think Cam, that was a combination of Carolina and New England, but still hilarious. But he's got some time. There's also a handful that went four games, but you know, fingers crossed. I got another joke for you. How many times has a team thrown for less than 100 yards in 2022? How many times do you think? Three. How many times have the Chicago Bears thrown for 100, under 100 yards in a game? Two. <laughs> Only three times did a team throw for less than 100 yards. The Bears against Houston threw for 82. The Giants against the Bears threw for 71, which is hilarious. And then the Bears against Chicago threw for 48. So the Bears have been involved in all three, but 48 passing yards against the Packers. In fact, If you go back to 2000, no team has done that more than the Chicago Bears. Eight times since 2000 have they thrown for less than 100 yards. Packers have done it once. It was in 2015. Infamous game against the Denver Broncos and whatnot. All right, how about this one? Only team with less than 400 passing yards this year, the Chicago Bears. Since 2000, has only happened 11 times. Two of those 11 were the Chicago Bears. The last time we saw it was the Jets in 2019. Before that was Baltimore in 2008. Anyways, again, just just trying to lift the spirits a little bit, provide a little context. Things aren't perfect in Green Bay. They're not as elite as we had hoped that they would be, but we have got historically bad Bears and Lions teams right now. The Lions have a historically bad defense. The Bears have a historically bad passing offense. But anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.